We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. It is a delight to welcome back to the show Michael Barone with his brand new book, How America's Political Parties Change and How They Don't. He is a resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, and you can read him at the Washington Examiner. Michael, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix, and congrats on the new book. Well, thank you very much, Seth, and it's great to be with you once again. Great to have you, sir. Great to have you. So you have written a book about uh, the topic I've been thinking a lot about myself, a lot of our listeners have as well, how America's political parties change and how they don't. That how they don't is what I wanted to start with, if I can, because there have been, indeed, over, I don't know, the decades, certainly since you've been following it, since... Both of us like history so much, certainly throughout history, there have been these 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 uh, what would you call them premature obituaries of 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 the parties after certain elections. You identify a few in your introduction. I remember Haley Barber telling me once that after Watergate circa 1975, 76, there was even talk at the RNC of changing the Republican Party's name, but it never really does happen, does it? It never really does happen. And. They, they, they changed the Minnesota for a while. They were known as the Independent Republicans part, uh, for a long time. The, the Democrats there have been known since the 1940s as the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. Right, the DFR. Uh, oh. Minnesota's always a little different. And yeah. They've got their own culture with, uh, with Scandinavian American, German American um, hints there and so forth. So I like to say, you know, you hear some of these politicians like Bernie Sanders say socialism can work. It works in Scandinavia. Right. My answer is that means it might be able to work in Minnesota, too. But the <laughs> other 49 states, not so much. <laughs> and Democrats have somewhat of a record of sometimes only winning Minnesota, don't they? Am I, am I misremembering? 1984. That, it yeah, was that the, is, uh, that's it. It was, it was the one state that Walter Mondale carried. It yeah. was from Minnesota. That's right. And it was, the, it was the number two state for George McGovern in 1972 in there percentage is. terms. There it is. Mass, there the one is. state he carried, Massachusetts. What's, what stays the same about the political parties? Um, it, 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 what, how they change? They have had, since the Democratic Party was created in 1832, the Republican Party in 1854, that's 187, 165 years ago. Each of these parties has had, in my judgment, a basic character, a basic personality, basic DNA that has continued even as they have changed their views on substantive issues. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Republican Party has always been centered on a constituency, a core constituency of people who are thought to be typical Americans, That's, but who yeah. by themselves are not a majority of the country. Right. This and, is and fascinating, is the, what you wrote here. Go, yeah. go with that. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to underscore how fascinating this point is. I never thought of it this way. Please, please go with that. Well, that, 
yeah, this, this is uh, the, the the actual character, you know, the, the components of yeah. that core group have changed over the time. In the 19th century and 1850s, it was uh, New England Yankees and their descendants who had spread across the upper Midwest, and they were enough to carry a majority of the Electoral College for Abraham Lincoln in 1860. Uh, today, it, you can say it's white married Christians are the kind of core group. By themselves, they're not a majority. The Democratic Party, since its creation in 1832, has been a coalition of outgroups of people who are members of what are uh, conceived by themselves and others to be atypical Americans Mm -hmm. of different kinds. Mm -hmm. Uh, When they stick together, they can be a majority. When they fight among themselves, uh, they can be a very fractious uh, minority and... uh, and, and incapable of governing. And that um, that has been true in the 19th century when the Democratic Party started off. It, it was the uh, decentralizing party. It was like, for free trade. It was against uh, uh, big federal government spending. Andrew Jackson actually not only balanced the budget, he eliminated the national debt mm. in 1835. Uh, the uh, the, the, the Democratic Party was happy to support segre- slavery and segregation in the South and to support uh, the saloon in the North, even mm-hmm. though uh, the people that ran the saloons didn't like slavery and the people that had slaves didn't like the saloon. <laughs> um, and so Easy to they, pick a side there, the, actually. <laughs> yeah. The Democrat. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was the story of the Democrat. What, what are, you know, the core groups of the Democratic Party these days? Um, black Americans who tend to be relatively low income tend to be more religious than the average American and so-called gentry liberals, my friend Joel Cockett's term, who you find, you know, in San Francisco, sure. the west side of L.A., sure. New York Nancy City, Pelosi, uh, right. Washington right. suburbs, Nancy Pelosi right. is right. the gentry liberal. Right. Um, they are uh, they tend to be relatively secular in their religious beliefs and they tend to be high incomes. You're getting the idea that they may have opposite points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen this in the presidential candidate, Beto O'Rourke, yep. uh, claim that the government shouldn't issue tax exemptions for churches that won't have same-sex marriage. Right. Uh, I, I got news for uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, you're going to disin- you're going to... Uh, He's going to lose the black vote with that, isn't he? Yeah. Well... How about the African Methodist Episcopal Church, yeah. the AME, the yeah. CME, the historical black churches? Right. My understanding is that these churches don't believe and sponsor same-sex marriages. That's right. Um, that, 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 that's right. Out of business. No, uh, I that, think that's right. You know, Carl, that Ro- Carl Rove used to talk about that in his uh, re-election strategy for Bush in Ohio. Wasn't there a lot of effort in the black churches on the marriage issue, if I'm not mistaken, to help George Bush? Well, out? that's right. Yeah. And you, you, you know, when California voted against same-sex marriage just right. 11 years ago in 2008, uh, whites voted uh, 51 percent for same-sex marriage. Uh, Hispanics voted 51 percent against same-sex yeah. marriage. In other words, they're basically evenly split. Yeah. Um, blacks voted 70% against That's same-sex right. marriage. That's right. That's um, right. Let me same-sex just marriage advocates blame Mormons for their loss, yeah, right. but the fact is it was really black voters. Right. Right. We're talking to Michael Barone, his brand new book. You can tell this is a mind alive for you history buffs or political buffs. How America's politi- political parties change and how they 
don't. Michael, one of the things we are told while you're giving that interesting history of the origins of the Republican and Democratic Party is we Republicans, not you, I don't want to identify you, you do whatever you want, but me, speaking for myself, we're often told that, well, the Republican Party of Lincoln, it's not the same Republican Party. They kind of shifted views. I go back to the founding documents uh, from Rapon and elsewhere of the Republic. I don't see any great change. I think that's mostly a myth, but you tell me if I'm wrong. Well, you know, they, they, the claim is that, uh, you know, the Republicans may have been for uh, against slavery, but now they want to reimpose slavery or segregation or something like that, uh, which I, you know, they're a racist party. I think that's baloney. Yeah. Uh, there has been since 1960, you know, 1968, 70, even in 1968, when George Wallace ran an independent, uh, independent candidacy, uh, he'd been a Democratic governor of Alabama. Right. Uh, he said he wasn't calling for a re-imposition re, uh, of state-mandated racial segregation anymore. Um, that was a gone issue. You haven't had a significant segment of the American public that's been in favor of resegregation by race. We have had racial quotas and preferences imposed largely, but not totally, by uh, liberals and Democrats. Uh, which are racial discrimination, but uh, have evidently been not banned by the courts. Right. Uh, but, the, but the fact is that, yeah, I mean, parties have changed their views. The Republican Party initially was a high-tariff party. Right. Uh, it, by the 1970s, after more than 100 years of existence, it became the lower ter- uh, tariff, more right. of a free trade party. The right. Democratic Party, influenced by the industrial labor unions, became a party that believed more in protectionism. Yeah. Uh, now, with Donald Trump, the Republican Party seems to be moving at least a little back towards protectionism. And you hear at least some of the Democrats say that free trade is really a good idea. So yeah. the parties sure. can change on substance of issues, and they change in response to changes in um, voter opinion, in response to events, in response to changing modes of thought, how people change their minds about uh, issues over the time, and about demographic change. When the Democratic Party got started, we were a country of 20 million people. Today, we're a country of 320 million people. And I think, too, it would be fair. Exact issues to be the same. Yeah. And I think it, too, might be fair to say even on tax cuts, if you wanted to hear about tax cuts in the 60s, you would listen to Kennedy and Johnson. You really didn't hear about tax cuts much from Republicans until the 70s and Ronald Reagan. Michael, a couple questions this audience is always fascinated by, as am I. I have my own theories. I'd love yours. Uh, The seemingly rock-solid adherence of Jewish Americans to the Democratic Party can it ever be shaken, do you think? And is Donald Trump the one to do it, particularly with his relationship with Israel? Um, well, uh, Norman Pedoritz wrote a whole book about why the uh, Jewish uh, voters vote for the liberal or less, you know, the socialist in some countryside and so forth. And I said, uh, I could sum it up in a phrase. They, they're still voting against the czar. Yeah. Um, you know, my acquaintance widespread with Jewish voters and Jewish individuals goes back to grade school. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly there's a, a thought of, uh, there's an idea of, of oppression. Uh, one of the things that's changing that now is demography. I mean, uh, it would appear that most of the Jewish children in America today are being raised in homes that are 
Orthodox Jews yeah. uh, rather than Reform yeah. or Conservative yeah. Jews. The Reform and Conservative Jews tend to vote heavily Democratic right. in uh, most elections and have for many years. The Orthodox in this last election voted heavily for Donald Trump. Yeah. Have you seen, you, you know, you look at the yeah. uh, New York Times' excellent graphics of which uh, they go down to the street level and you look at what what I like to call Ocean Parkway yeah. in Brooklyn. Right. And that, which was a 70% Democratic area when I started studying this stuff in the 1960s, uh, all voted for Donald yeah. Trump this time. Yeah. What's the story there? Orthodox Jews yep. uh, living near the shul so that they don't have to drive a car on the Sabbath in order to attend religious services. So um, that's... Uh, that's you know, the thing to that watch, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah, the and thing. Also, if you look at, you know, the other thing is support of Israel. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the 1950s, when the Eisenhower administration was relatively hostile to Israel, something that President Eisenhower later regretted, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the chief support for Israel came. Israel was a socialist country. Right. The chief support of it came from Democratic mm-hmm. Party mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, heavily Democratic Jewish communities. That's not true anymore. You've got almost, uh, you know, you've got more support. Republicans, nearly unanimous supporters of Israel. Democrats are split down the middle uh, these days. But overall, you're looking at 70 percent support for Israel in this country. It's not a fringe position. But you know what's interesting, too, demographically? No, demographically, what's interesting, too, is you're right. While Orthodox Judaism is growing and and is more and more Republican, the other part that's kind of interesting, too, is the conservative and reform support for Israel Interestingly enough, not as strong as it used to be. That that's fading too as time goes by. So you know, perhaps right. my question was misleading. Because, yeah, yeah, because basically, well, part of it is that they don't identify as strongly with the Israeli right. government as right. they did right. for the thirty years in which it was dominated by the Labour that's Party, right. by the socialist movement. That's right. It's now become a free market uh, economy, which is hugely successful, and uh, you know, technologically. Uh, innovation and so forth. Israel is one of the leading innovators in the whole world, mm-hmm. which is seven million people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, so that's less appealing to Democrats of the ilk of Bernie Sanders, who thinks socialism is the wave of the future. That's right. That's uh, right. And so forth. Talk to me about the other big demographic lock grip on parties: uh, African American support for the Democratic Party. I, 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 I'm pretty good at understanding the history that changed after the Goldwater candidacy, but. Um, Donald Trump brags about bringing a lot of black support back into the Republican Party. Is he right? Um, He may be right. Uh, There's some signs in some of the polling, particularly if you isolate it down to younger black males, uh, you're beginning to get, instead of uh, single-digit percentages for Donald Trump and the Republican Party, you're getting double-digit percentages. Mm -hmm. You're going up towards the 15% level and so forth. Um, That's that may or may not turn out to be a significant change uh, as we go through. I mean, the large majority of black American voters are women voters. The women voters are remaining strongly Democratic. Um, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, one of the one of the things that I've noticed over the years, if you've ever been in a black church when a politician is speaking in September, October, this time of year, in election year, and the preacher uh, preaches and so forth, I mean, you know, a lot of the liberals think that it's terrible if a preacher 
mentions that favorably Republicans are conservatives, but of course in the black churches you often find politicians, most of them, not all, but most Democrats. Speaking of, the preacher talks about unity. Yeah. The preacher talks, we've got to stand together. This makes very eminently good sense sure. if you are a member of a minority that is distinctive and that has been treated negatively through uh, much of American history in a way that is of searing importance and has been for generation after generation when the old, um, you know, those old experiences are not totally irrelevant uh, to many Americans, but to the large majority of black Americans in particular. And uh, staying solidly for one party or the other has been the experience of black Americans to the extent that they've been allowed to participate in American voting heavily Republican from the 1860s to the 1930s, uh, mixed 1930s to 1960s, but verging more Democratic than Republican, with variations in localities, and then heavily Democratic since the 1960s. Um, We'll see what happens as time goes on, but I think it's possible that some of the things uh, that has made Donald Trump-type Republicanism more attractive to downscale whites with modest income, uh, whites who have, uh, you know, families and jobs, may also make uh, his party more palatable to uh, uh, low, medium income uh, black people mm-hmm. in, in Hispanics as well mm-hmm. with families and jobs. And that describes a lot of black voters. Nicely done. Nicely done. The book is How America's Political Parties Change and how they don't. Michael Barone is the author. You want this book if you're interested in any of the stuff we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes, and I know you are because you call about it all the time. Michael, congratulations on the book. May it do very, very well, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thank you for having me on your program. You bet. It's a delight, as always, to learn from you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com.